You're listening to the Misty Creek Community Church Podcast. To learn more about Misty Creek Community Church, visit our website at mistycreekchurch.org. Today's message is from Senior Pastor Stephen Street. Do you realize how blessed Misty Creek Community Church is, folks? What God is doing here, and you don't want to know why that is. I'm going to give you the simple answer. It's because you, we, have chosen to surrender to the Holy Spirit. Plain and simple, right there. But it's not that simple, is it? (laughs) Surrendering to the Holy Spirit means we give Him everything that we are. Everything, including our possessions. But more than that, our very being. You know, just 10 days ago, some folks celebrated April Fool's Day. I almost sent out this, mess, uh, this uh, massive text message to our leadership team, but I only sent it out to two um, because I didn't want to give them heart attacks on, uh, with an April Fool's joke. So I saved you, Richard, by not sending that to you, by the way. But I did send it to a few, and if you got that, you know what I'm talking about. But um, several years ago, in the Dunready Crier, I got fooled. There was an article in the Crier. It was about Dominique Wilkins, one of my favorite basketball players of all time by the way, the human highlight film. He could do the windmill dunk like nobody. Nobody to this day can dunk like him. Nobody. Anyway, in the article, it was talking about how the Hawks were struggling, the Atlanta Hawks. Nothing new, right? Well, they're doing okay right now. We got Lou Williams back. Yay. You're like, who's Lou Williams? Don't worry. And so I'm reading this article about the struggling Hawks. They're under 500. And in the article, it says that Dominique Wilkins is coming out of retirement. He has gotten conditioned. He's in great shape. You know, there's a picture of him. He looks great. I'm reading this. I'm like, really? So I YouTube real quick to see Dominique Wilkins, and he's playing over at Peachtree Presbyterian in a pickup league, and it shows him, and he's dunking. He's 50 years old. I'm like, wow. And I keep reading. I'm like, I wonder how good he's going to be. I bet he'll be as good as most of the players, even at 50. And then at the very end of the article, after I read it, it was a full page, April Fool's. I was so deflated, Ken. I thought, Dominique Wilkins is coming back. But he's not coming back to play professional basketball. He's a commentator with Bob Rathman, and he does a very good job, by the way. So we're just 10 days past April Fool's, and I wanted to run a little poll this morning. Raise your hand if you fall into one of those little camps, okay? How many of you love to pull pranks on April Fool's Day? Raise your hand if you love to pull pranks. Come on, more of you do than you're raising your hands. You know you do. Maybe you're fooling me because you, you're not raising your hand. Okay. How many of you have ever fallen for an April Fool's prank? Anybody? <laughs> a lot of us. Yes. It's hard to admit it, but uh, some of us are a little more gullible than others. And that can get us into trouble sometimes. There's a story of, of a man who walked into a local pub and introduced himself to the guy at the next table. And he, and he says, I guess you've probably heard of me before. My name's been in the news recently. The second man said, no, sorry, who are you? The first man pumped out his chest. He said, I'm last year's winner of the world's most gullible man competition. The second man said, wow, I've, I've never met a world champion before. This is the coolest thing. The first man, he said, yeah, it's a wonderful thing to be a world champion. The other man said, well, how does it feel to win like that? Best day of my life, he said, but I recently lost the title. The second man said, really? When? The first man smiled slowly and said, just now. (laughs) I don't know if you've heard of Ricky Jay. He's a famous musician, and he's considered by many 
to be the, the best sleight of hand artist in the world. In an interview with 60 Minutes, Jay said the ideal audience would be a group of Nobel Prize winners. They often have an ego with them that says, I'm really smart and I cannot be fooled. No one says Ricky Jay is easier to fool. That's interesting, isn't it? No one is easier to fool than really smart people. So those of you who raised your hand to the second question about being gullible and, and um, you, you can stop blushing now, it's a sign of your intelligence that you're easily taken advantage of. You're really smart if you're taken advantage of. Do you think that's why Thomas refused to believe the disciples when they told him that they had seen the risen Christ? Was he afraid of appearing gullible? Afraid to trust something that was too good to be true? Is that why people have trouble believing that Jesus resurrected from the dead? There are believers, folks, that struggle with that. That Jesus truly resurrected from the dead. Our scripture lesson from John's gospel is about the world's most famous doubter. The news of Jesus' resurrection was spreading quickly throughout the land. And so you can imagine the quickened pulse and the rapid, excited speech of those who had encountered the risen Christ as they shared the experience with others. You can imagine the difficulty that those who heard their story had in believing them. The first recipients of the good news of Easter considered it to be idle nonsense of distraught and hysterical women, and they just did not believe it. As more and more of the disciples and followers of Jesus encountered the risen Christ, however, the stories gained more and more credibility. The most famous holdout of all times is, is Thomas. He's called the twin. He says, unless I see the print of the nails in his hands and place my fingers in the print of the nails, and unless I can put my hand into his side, I will not believe. You know, many of us, if we're honest, have had times in our lives when we could identify with Thomas. Think about the turmoil of Thomas. He wasn't there when Jesus first appeared to the disciples in the upper room behind the locked doors. He was late. For whatever reason, he wasn't there. And then when he finally shows up and the other disciples tell him that they've seen the resurrected Jesus right there in the flesh, he doubts it. And then he goes for an entire week wondering, doubting, turmoiling over, is he alive? Did he really appear? Did I miss out? Will I ever get to see him? Think about that for a moment. How difficult that would be. Have you ever missed an occasion in your life and you regretted it? Maybe it was a loved one. And you wanted to be there by their bedside as they passed, but you, you didn't make it in time. It's tough, isn't it? Hmm. Maybe there's a special service at church and you missed it for whatever reason. Maybe you were in town and you could have gone and you heard from everybody else. Oh my gosh, you should have been there for the sunrise service. It was anointed to the Easter service. Oh my goodness, you should have been here for this event. You hear everybody telling you about it. You're like, oh, man, I missed it. But you can watch it. You can fast forward and rewind if you want to. Right? It's just not the same. Is it for those watching? It's just not the same for those that are here. Right? 
being with each other. Hebrews tells us, do not give up on being together, worshiping the living God together. And we've done our best through that, haven't we? By offering you opportunities to be here in person, to be outside under the tent, or online. And we will continue to offer those opportunities. I remember something that happened to me, and I'll, I still regret it to this day. We were, at a Brave, we were at a Braves game, and they were losing like eight to nothing in the seventh inning. Like, I'm out of here. This is, I mean, they're getting killed. And they were playing the Phillies, by the way, who had our number earlier this last week, but we had their number last night. Yay! And so, get in the car, we leave the game, stop by the varsity. You know the routine, right? Some of you are like looking at me like deer in headlights. Come on. You leave the game, you go by the varsity. Do you know if you go in the back gate of the old stadium, you could bring the varsity into the stands? That's the only food they allow you to bring in. Anyway, that's side information. They don't do that in the new, the new arena. Sorry. But anyway, so ADD is kicking in. I apologize. So anyway, we drive. We're leaving the game. We go by the varsity, and it's now in extra innings. I'm like, extra innings? We were, we were getting slaughtered. The game is tied. I'm like, what? By the time we get to the house, the Braves have won the game. Never again am I leaving a Braves game early. You hear it right here. I don't care if the kids say, let's go, we're getting slaughtered, we're getting killed. It's the last at bat. You never know, especially when Chipper Jones was on the team, right? Because he's the one who got the rally started. Now it's Freddie Freeman. We don't want to miss out on things like that. It's too important. And to miss out on seeing the resurrected Christ for whatever reason. You were too busy. You were sleeping in. I don't know. Every single Sunday, we experience the resurrected Messiah here at Mystic Creek. It gives you reason to get out of the bed and get here or at least watch it online wherever you are. Don't miss that chance. Every day of your life, when you put your feet on the floor, both feet on the floor, to rise up from your bed is reason to celebrate that he has risen, that he is alive, and you can celebrate that. And be present all day long with the living, breathing Son of God who lives and dwells within you. You know, doubt is one of the most important tools that God uses to produce mighty men and women of faith. I worry about someone who says to me, I have never doubted for a moment my faith in God. Never. Never doubted him. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. My friend, are you alive? Do you have a brain do you ever use it? Wow. Never to have doubted is never to have taken the walk of faith seriously. I'm serious about that. You're looking at a fellow doubter. You know you have. We must add, however, that in order to experience the true joy that God intends for each of his children... There must be a time, there must come a time when we move beyond our doubts to a faith that is stronger than our doubts. I heard recently about a young couple named Tommy and Sophia. Tommy and Sophia experienced a struggle common in many marriages. Sophia wanted to attend church with her husband, but he didn't want to go. He got nothing out of the services. He came with the attitude it was all about him and what he could get. 
from the coffee to the scones. He didn't like the coffee they had. He didn't like the kind of blueberry muffins they had. He didn't like the service. He didn't like the music. He didn't like the preacher. He didn't like the way the people looked at him. He just wanted nothing to do with going to church. He got nothing out of it. No inspiration, no comfort. He had so many doubts and so many unanswered questions. And he wasn't going to sit in church every week and pretend that it meant anything to him. And so the arguments continue between Tommy and Sophia. One day Sophia asked Tommy in frustration, What do you believe in, Tommy? Tommy thought for a moment. Well, I like Jesus. He makes a lot of sense of me at times. But to buy into Jesus, I've got to buy into too much of that other stuff that isn't helpful at all. Do y'all know what I'm talking about? Were you a part of all of that other stuff before in your walk? And you're like, I'm tired of that. You know what I mean? Thanks be to God, we've been freed from that. He didn't want to be tied down to a Messiah and everything else that comes with it because of what the church has done over the centuries. Yes, I said it. I've got to buy into all this other stuff, he said. I don't want to go. I honestly doubt that any of it really happened, he said, the way they say it happened in the Bible. Maybe the disciples just made it up, he told his wife, for all we know. And at the end of their discussion, however, Tommy did agree to keep his promise and go with her for a few Sundays. So he did. One Sunday, the gospel reading caught Tommy's attention about someone who could have been called Tommy. <laughs> Thomas the Doubter. Thomas had doubts. So did Tommy. Unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands and put my fingers in the marks of the nails in my hand in his side, I will not believe, said Thomas. Tommy thought to himself, if I could only touch his body. That's the way we Thomas people are, he said. Tommy became fixated on this idea. If he could just see Jesus, if he could just touch his body, then he would believe. He was still pondering this when Sophia went up to the altar for communion. And then Tommy's thoughts were interrupted by the priest holding up the broken loaf of bread and announcing, this is the body of Christ broken and given for you. If I could just see Jesus, if I could just touch Jesus' body, then I would believe, said Tommy. What does it mean to see Jesus and to touch him? Tommy couldn't see Jesus in the miracles, but when he saw the broken bread, a picture of Jesus' body, broken and scarred for him, he suddenly understood what it was to see Jesus. He understood why doubting Thomas exclaimed, My Lord! My God! He understood. Much of the doubt that we experience in young adulthood is a need to rebel against our upbringing. Some of you have young adult children, and you know what I'm saying. At one point, those same young people had a strong faith. They were on fire for the Lord. Believe me, I know a lot of them. The world's influence and other factors have caused doubt to creep into many young lives. It's the culture. And again, I suspect this is part of the plan of God, believe it or not. If parents and children didn't disagree on something, offspring would never leave home. Jesus did not condemn the prodigal for leaving. 
all of us must do it sometime. That is the part of the maturing process. However, one lesson that we learn from the prodigal is that we don't want to spend a lifetime in a pig pen either. Spiritual maturity comes when we are ready to move beyond our doubts, questioning everything, and beyond our rebellion. There is something in every human heart that is ever reaching outward and upward. There is something within our very nature that senses an incompleteness. We see through the glass darkly, but somehow we sense that the room into which we are seeking to peer is not empty. The world is far too wonderful to have occurred by chance. There's within us a hunger that only our relationship with the divine can satisfy. Are you hungry? It's actually very difficult for most of us not to eventually move beyond our doubts. The evidence for God is just simply too strong. Some of us see him everywhere we look. He's everywhere. Can't escape him. That's a matter of perspective, isn't it? Absolutely. Did I see him yesterday at Virginia's mother's celebration of life? Yes, I did clearly through Virginia and her family and for those gathered there and for Doug leading us in worship. It was so evident that God was in our midst. He was comforting us and giving us peace. Powerful time together. There's one final thing to say, and I want you to listen closely because this might be theological for many of you. You know, Olivia Newton-John didn't sing, let's get theological Theological, she's saying, let's get biblical, biblical. Isn't that, isn't that the lyrics? Uh, maybe something else, but anyway. <laughs> this is biblical, if you study and analyze it enough. The Christian faith can only be analyzed from the inside. And that's something profound to say, and I prayed about that for a good while, and God said, I want you to say it and explain what that means. So here you go. If you remain on the outside looking in, you will never find abundant life. There's an inside reality that God created you, made you, formed you, knitted you in your mother's womb. He breathed into you the breath of life. And when you receive His Son and accept Him as your Savior, on your own, you make that personal decision, that's when that inside reality becomes an outside reality. If you have the Holy Spirit moving in you, you receive Christ, and you never tell anybody about it, then I will question your salvation. Mm. Because you only experience the fullness of the Christian faith when you tell others the good news of what God has done for you, how he has saved you and brought you through the times of despair in your life. And that doesn't mean you won't continue to go through some despair. But when you go through that despair, he's carrying you through it. He's holding you. And he goes through it with you. You see, he didn't come to take all of that away. He came to fill us with his presence, to let us know, I'm never going to leave you. We've got this together, but you will not survive on your own. You need me. We need each other, folks. So important. Now, here's where those who have made God a scientific method are going to have a problem. You cannot find God with the most powerful telescope ever built. Even though I believe he created the entire galaxy, Reagan has this amazing telescope. It's phenomenal, you know. 
And when I look through it, I see God's creation. But the scientific person doesn't see that. What do they see? You tell me. Big Bang Theory? Chance? (laughs) Not criticizing them, but I want you to keep listening. You cannot find God with a slide ruler or a test tube or an enormous computer, although I believe he's given us the creative genius to create the computer and the test tube and everything else. Do you really think cardiologists can perform quadruple bypass surgery on their own devices? Absolutely not. Only God, through them, whether they acknowledge that or not, can do such a marvelous, miraculous thing. But think about that surgeon, and I know plenty of them, who knows Jesus Christ and operates on his devices when that surgeon, that man or woman, performs that surgery and knows the Almighty God, the comfort and peace they have to provide that family. Whether that patient survives that surgery or not, they have hope that they can offer. What if they don't have that hope? What if they don't have that promise? What if they let doubt creep in and take over their consciousness? Doubt gets you nowhere, especially in the Christian faith. There's only one way to find God, and that's to take a step of faith. A step of faith and trust your life to Him and enter into a daily walk with Him as Savior and Lord. A daily walk. Not once a week, not 30 minutes a day, but a daily walk. I cannot prove to you the existence of God, but you can prove Him to yourself by giving yourself to Him. Let that sink in for a moment. Could I prove to you that love exists? I know I need to wake you up, so here you go. What is love? Baby, it don't hurt me. So you're awake again, so listen. I saw some of you starting to look down. You're updating your status, whatever's going on. I want you to listen again. Some of you went to the refrigerator and got a snack. That's the nice thing about watching online. That's why we've all gained weight, because of Zoom. We need to get out and Zoom, Zoom, Zoom and exercise, right? So I want you to hold on with me. Could I prove to you that love exists? A scientist could attach electrodes to the skin of a person in love and measure the pulse, the respiration, the blood pressure of a person in the presence of their beloved. But would that prove love? No. Too much caffeine that morning at breakfast might cause the same bodily reactions. How do you do without caffeine? Anybody doing okay without caffeine? You probably need some right now, don't you? You're like, when are they going to bring coffee back at Mystic Creek? That's one of the main reasons I was coming. We're going to get there again one day. Just don't know exactly when. The only way you and I can ever prove love is to have experienced what it is to love and to be loved. (laughs) So it is with faith. There are only two ways that the existence of a loving God can be proved. The first is by the testimony of others. That's why if you have Jesus in your heart and he's claimed you and called you, you want to testify. You want to tell others about it. We can say with utter certainty that there have been millions of persons who have experienced God as a reality in their lives. That is one proof, though it will not satisfy the skeptic. The most conclusive evidence of the existence of God is to experience Him for yourself. You may think, well, I experienced Him because my mom and dad experienced Him. You don't go off of their faith. You go off of your faith. You learn from their faith, but you claim the faith. You claim the name Christian, follower of Christ, for yourself. You receive him for yourself. And then you tell others 
about him. But you cannot save anybody. God is in the business of saving, and he just so happens to use you as his vessel, as his witness. And that's a humble thing, isn't it? Great responsibility. Let me tell you about a young man, a young man named Ali Hussein. <laughs> you might not like that last name too much. Ali came from a wealthy, prominent Muslim family in Pakistan. The Hussein family were members, direct descendants of the Prophet Muhammad. Wherever they went, the Hussein family was treated with great respect and honor. When Ali was 17, he visited an aunt, or aunt if you call it that, who had become a Christian. Ali was shocked and angry that his aunt would betray Islam and her family. He went to church with her in the hopes of studying her religion and debunking it, disproving it. Instead, Ali became intrigued by the joy and peace of the Christians he met. Do we have joy and peace at Misty Creek? Are we hospitable? Are we intentional? About noticing others? If you're not, please do it. It's not about you. Okay? It's important. I try, but I'm only one person. Doug tries. He's only one person. But if you all do that, if you all are greeters and ushers, you see what I mean? Oh, we have a certain group of people that do that sort of thing. I, I just show up and, you know, get my seat. No. We want you to be a part of that. And that's what Ali experienced in this church the Christian love and hospitality that we permeate. And so he became intrigued by all this joy and all the laughter amongst these people. He hadn't experienced that in his faith. He began praying, Show yourself to me, God. Show yourself to me. Who is the true God? Reveal yourself to me. Then one day, during his prayer time, Ali had an overwhelming experience that convinced him that this humble Nazarene really was the Son of God. He went to his aunt, full of sorrow and fear, and asked her what it meant. She replied, You were praying for this. God came and revealed himself to you. Now it's your choice. Ali Hussein chose to become a follower of Jesus. Hallelujah. Thanks be to God. Soon after, Ali's parents disowned him. And a terrorist organization targeted him for death. After Ali survived a brutal attack by a member of this terror organization, he moved to the United Kingdom. He plans to return to Pakistan someday to share his faith with his family and friends. Remember those words from Ali's aunt when he told her that he had come to believe in Jesus as his Lord. She said, God came and revealed himself to you. Now it's your choice. It's your choice. That's a good message for doubting Thomas. And it's a good message for us when we experience doubts about God's existence or his purposes. What happened to Thomas after his experience with the risen Christ? Well, he rejoiced. He gave thanks. He was thrilled. His life was changed forever. His later career, though, is wrapped in mystery and legend. An apocryphal book called The Legend of Thomas claims to give his history. Now, this book wasn't included in the canonized Bible that you and I have, the 66 books, 
but some do give it credibility. It says that when the disciples divided up the world to conquer it for Jesus, Thomas received India. There Thomas died for the faith that he had once doubted. Indeed, in South India today, you will find a church called the Thomist Church of South India, which claims that Thomas was its founder. Thomas dropped his doubts at the pierced feet of Jesus and became one of those by whose testimony we have faith today. There's no reason to criticize Thomas. Matter of fact, we ought to elevate his status for what he did and how he responded and where he ended up. Thomas was a doubter. He had to see Jesus for himself. Maybe you're watching today and you're a doubter and and you need to see Jesus for yourself. Jesus did not condemn Thomas for that. He's not going to condemn you for your doubt. However, Jesus did say that blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. Doubt is an obstacle that when overcome can cause us to have a deeper, richer, more meaningful faith. In the struggle for meaning, the wise person learns to move beyond his doubts. The way to prove faith is to surrender yourself to the Lordship of Christ. Walk in His way and experience His love for yourself. At the sunrise service last week, Melissa Culpepper, who's watching this morning with her husband Carl from Macon. Hey, Melissa and Carl. Melissa portrayed Mary Magdalene. Melissa was so convincing that I felt like I was there with the resurrected Jesus. I I found myself wondering what I would have acted like if I had been there with Jesus, been there all along with him for three years of his ministry. Would I have freely offered my opinion like Peter? Would I have tried to calculate his every action like Matthew? Or would I have followed him in awe, listening to his every word like Mary Magdalene, whom he set free, whom he healed? I imagined walking with him, watching his kindness, his patience in the way that he loved others. I would have felt thrilled to see a miracle up close and to have a one-on-one conversation with him to share my thoughts, my, my questions, my concerns, and yes, even my doubts. And yet, we can still do that today. The fact is, This same Jesus who walked the earth with the disciples is still alive today and wants to spend personal time with each of us. Isn't that amazing? He sent his own spirit to dwell in us, to guide us, and to help us. So he is still there. He's there for us to have that one-on-one conversation. He is still performing miracles in our world today. I see him every day, folks. I'm with sick people and dying people and people who are struggling at wit's end. And I see the hand of God move and act in their lives. It's a marvelous thing to see. My doubt meter has been very, very low to the point of non-existence. Because I have seen the true glory of God in its fullness. And it's marvelous.
He wants to remove all of your doubt and show you more of who He is. He's waiting patiently for you right now to respond to His invitation. As I held the hand of a man last week, he could barely speak. I had just given him a few chips of ice on his tongue. And I said, do you want to respond to the invitation that Jesus offers you right now to experience the gift of eternity right now? He shook his head, yes, I do. He grasped my hand as hard as you can imagine. I didn't think he had that kind of strength left. But somehow, some way, this man about broke my hand. He squeezed it so hard, confirming, yes. And in that moment, the Holy Spirit entered into his spirit, into his very being. And that man was a new creation in Christ right before my eyes. Mm. He's waiting patiently for you to respond. Will you respond? I want us to take a moment right now. Well, let's just thank him for all he's done. Just close your eyes, if you would, for watching with us. Just take a moment, wherever you're sitting right now, just close your eyes and just, just silently thank him for all he's done. Listen for him to speak to you right now. Take comfort in the fact that he still sees you, loves you, and has chosen you just as he chose Thomas. I believe he knew that Peter would deny him and that Thomas would doubt him. He still called him anyway. He knows you're not perfect. He knows you're going to doubt. You're going to have struggles. You may even deny him. But he's already chosen you. He's just waiting for you, patiently waiting for you to receive his invitation. To receive him as your Savior right now. Don't you see the evidence of his goodness is all around us, all over your life. Why should you fear anymore? The evidence is here. The evidence is sitting right next to you. The empty tomb, the empty grave means abundant life, new life. We serve a resurrected king. We've had a lot of storms in our life, haven't we? We face this terrible pandemic. It's still here, but it's beginning slowly but surely to go away. These storms have made way for the spring. The spring represents newness of life, transformation. You cannot deny the reality that there is a God, a loving, merciful, generous God. He's giving you the evidence through His Son, Jesus Christ. And He's placed within you a desire, a longing to experience that love, that grace, mercy, and forgiveness 
that he offers you right now. Do not leave today. Do not turn off your device or your TV before asking Jesus Christ to set you free and renew you and remove your doubt. He hears you and he offers himself to you. He has freely paid the price. Though it cost him everything, it only cost you. Yes, I will follow you. I will serve you. I will live my life for you forever. In the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, now and forevermore. Amen. We hope you were inspired by today's message. For more sermons from Misty Creek Community Church, be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you like to stream your podcasts. You can also watch videos of our sermons and complete services on the Misty Creek Community Church YouTube channel. And while you're there, be sure to like, subscribe, and hit the notification bell. For more information about our church, including our mission, location, service times, and more, visit our website at mistycreekchurch.org. God bless you, and thank you for listening.